Welcome to The Intersect, the official podcast of Fanbase. I'm Mary, a Creighton practitioner and infertile adoptive mother. A 12-year late endometriosis diagnosis inspired me to educate women of all ages about the importance of authentic and restorative health care for women. I'm Emily, a Marquette user, wife and mama to two NFP surprises, now with secondary infertility, who personally knows the importance of honesty and vulnerability when sharing fertility awareness. With a range of experiences from our different fertility backgrounds, we engage in authentic conversations about all things fertility awareness. Welcome to the place where science and real life intersect. We're so glad you're here. And we're back. Children have been appeased. I have been fed. And we're good to go to keep the conversation going. So anyway. (laughs) We're going into contraceptive mentality. I put my hair up. I made some (laughs) coffee. I am. I don't drink coffee a lot. So I'm surprised. I'm shocked. I know you don't ever see me with this. This is serious business. You might as well mm-hmm. be drinking like alcohol, which you know right. what? For this conversation that <laughs> we might, might need it. Yeah. <laughs> might need a little something to take the edge off. Whereas <laughs> coffee's gonna put the edge on. Could could be better. I don't know. We'll find yeah, out. We'll see. Um yeah. So for for context on contraceptive mentality, I know a lot of people are like, what the heck are you talking about? Is this like some like Catholic insider baseball? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, however, in our, we're, we're addressing it because in our line of work, before we started fan base, this was an ideology that Mary and I spent a lot of time researching and combating. Um, and we actually wrote, co-wrote a series for NFP week in 2020 with another friend of ours called Uncharted Territory. And basically we didn't come out and say it because we were still a little hesitant. Um, or I, I think I was the most hesitant one ironically at the time. And now I'm just like, all right, guns blazing. People are shocked that you were ever hesitant about this. Can we just say that really quick? Yes, it's it's true. You know, here's, here's the deal. You did your due diligence though. That's all that was. Here's what it is. Like when it comes to talking about sex, so many people have done so much damage and I was just like I want to make sure that what I'm saying is right and it was like you know I just felt this pressure it it was more than doing the due diligence it was I don't want to cause any more problems (laughs) were you being responsible oh my gosh discerning can we even use those words I was going to say, we're going to, you know, we're going to drop the big D word during this conversation. It's a three syllable word, word, not a one syllable word. It's a discernment. So yes, um, that will come up. So anyway, so contraceptive mentality, it's, how do you define it? Where okay. do you even start? I know where to start. It's like, oh Lord. Okay. So there's within I would say more traditional Catholic circles, which we are seeing definitely a rise of currently. Um, There is this group of people who believe that the primary purpose of sex and marriage alone is procreation, meaning to make children. That union of the spouses, that, that spousal unity 
is secondary. Like, I, 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 it never ceases to buckle my mind. I'm like, how? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense from the get-go because it's like, well, how do you make children unless there is a union? Anyway. Do you think, uh, though, I have a question. Do you think that is conscious? I know for some of them it is conscious, but do you think for all of them it's conscious? Meaning no. that they wouldn't say that that's what they believe, but that's what the action and their words proclaim. Absolutely. Okay. I think it's very much a spectrum like purity culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly been my experience. Like you get people who, yeah, you, you, it's, a, it's definitely a spectrum. Um, but again, all right, let's go back to scripture. Let's go back to Genesis again. So looking at, let's, let's talk about first, like what Catholic church teaching is. And then we can talk about like, you know, why this ideology stands in, in, in contrast to it much to their chagrin. Catholic church teaching about sex is pretty basic. It's, it's pretty simple to understand. It's not very simple to apply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's where there, there becomes difficulties, but simply put sex has two primary purposes and they are the union of the spouses and the procreation and education of children. That is the purposes of sex and marriage. And if you um, missed it, she said two primary, meaning not primary and secondary. They are both equally important. Right. You cannot, one is not second to the other. They are both working in tandem at all times. Um, sorry for using my fingers like this for all the YouTube watchers. <laughs> I'm not going to describe what my fingers are doing, but it's okay. Uh, it was unintentional, um, <clears throat> but pun intended. Anyway, so that's Catholic church teaching. Now there's a group, this, the group of people who talk about, who use the language contraceptive mentality, they may not all use this word to describe themselves, but some use the word providentialism to describe their ideology um, or their theology. Um, And they believe that this is the true Catholic teaching about sex, that procreation is the primary purpose of marriage. Meaning that you have sex whenever, and then yeah. when God wants to have, you know, uh, anno- you know, you, you get, just get pregnant whenever you have sex. There's yeah, not a lot of, it, there's what it is, is there is a, you don't learn your fertility. Um, yes. Is that, you know, you have sex as often as you please, which again, you can kind of already probably infer that this is going to default to male sexuality, whether or not it benefits or considers the woman and that yes you know whether or not you get pregnant is up to god because god orchestrates this and it's not your job to limit god so you have sex whenever you please god gives you a baby whenever he pleases and this is god's design for marriage um and anybody listening to this is like um that kind of sounds like abuse and use and it's like when you kind of tease this out to its extreme, yep, you're absolutely right. I I can say that after talking to many people who have this ideology, like, yes, I see a lot of uh, the tendency towards using your spouse as a means to an end. So with, you know, with secular culture, with hedonism, with this pursuit of pleasure as a means to an end, right? You see this use of persons. With purity culture, with this demonizing of one sex over the other, you see this use of persons, right? And then with contraceptive mentality and providentialism with this 
emphasis on if you are doing marriage right, you are making babies, you see this use of persons, right? So in each case, there is fundamentally no room for love to grow, which is not Christian. Again, like it just boggles my mind that like purity culture and contraceptive mentality and providentialism is like, has any space in, in Christianity. I also anyway. think in, in understanding this, it might be helpful to actually say out loud that many people in, in this, in this crowd believe that NFP or fertility awareness use is wrong. Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So what this goes back for to avoiding the- pregnancy, I right. should say. Right. But they don't think that NFP is good for anything but avoiding pregnancy. So, um, health reasons you're saying, right. Right. And again, there's probably a spectrum, but there is a spectrum. Um, and that, yeah, we'll get into that. So basically with, with providentialism, um, it, it, basically the, the, the dividing point for them is Vatican II, which, Vatican II, which took place during the 60s, which for a lot of traditionalists is the decade where basically we all went to hell in a handbasket, um, the church included under Vatican II. But if you look at Vatican II documents, church teaching on marriage and sexuality really came like that's where it was really refined and clarified, not changed for the record, refined and clarified. And it goes all the way back to Genesis, right? Like the two become one flesh and then be fruitful and multiply. Actually, I think we're fruitful and multiply came first and then the two become one flesh. But you have to understand that those are a part of two different creation stories, right? You get the first creation story, which is um, sequential. And then the second creation story, which is talking about, you know, the human person. And Jesus, you know, like in the gospels, he, he reaffirms the two becoming one flesh. And uh, I believe Paul does as well. And don't ask me to quote it. I'm Catholic. I can't quote scripture. <laughs> I can't do Joking. I can do chapter and verse. I just forgot these. Um, anyway, so the two becoming one flesh, you know, it like it has to be duly primary with be fruitful and multiply. Otherwise, neither one of them makes any sense. Um, and to kind of tease this out, if you think about it, you know, God was always in, in Old Testament language. He was very commonly using the marital relationship as an allegory for his relationship with his people. Right. This is like that. He is a spouse. He is a lover. And so if. If procreation is the sole primary purpose of marriage, then marriage serves purely a utilitarian function of the continuation of the human species. That's it. There is no mystery with sex. There is no union of persons. We're not above the animals. Because if all of this is about is propagating the species, a lot of other things fall apart. This allegory of, you know, God's love for his people as being related to a marriage relationship. The Song of Solomon, for Pete's sakes, is nothing but eight chapters of sexual euphemisms, and it's all an allegory of God's love for his people. There is an element, like in Catholic language, we believe there is an element of mystery to the sexual union. And if procreation is the only purpose of sex, that mystery isn't there. 
There is no mystery. There is no deeper meaning. There is, there is not this union of persons. It's purely utilitarian. That's it. So that's why it comes into conflict with the holistic Catholic understanding of sex and marriage, that this is not purely utilitarian because we're not talking, because we are above the animals, because we're talking about human persons made in the image and likeness of God who reflect God's love. And so everything that we do has a deeper meaning than just, you know, the tangible results of it, right? Um, so there's a sac- what we call a sacramental nature to marriage and sex. And if it's purely utilitarian, it's not sacramental. So there's some things that need to be reconciled there. But even before Vatican II, like, you know, like I said, going back to Genesis, but even going back to church documents, the one the providentialists love to pull out is Casti Canubi, which is an encyclical that was written in the 1930s. And I forget which Pope um, I should know this, but he does talk about how, you know, one of the main purposes of marriages is, is children. But then he goes on to say, I think it was in section 24, that actually you could say that union is the sole primary purpose of marriage, because like, that's like, that's the purpose of the vocation is for spouses to get each other to heaven. And it's like, that's of course, seldom quoted by people who are providentialists. But anyway, so to bring this back to NFP and why we deal with this every single dead gum year, yeah, as you said, Mary, because of what providentialists believe about sex, that the primary purpose is for making babies, that we have sex whenever we please, the babies come as they will, God will provide whatever we need, hence providentialism. Learning your fertility is impeding God's ability to act in your life, which is bizarre. <laughs> because he created it. Right. And, you know, I, I like to think of God as an artist, like as the master artist, right? And if you've ever taken any art class or any history of art class, you know that studying the artwork of an artist tells you something about the artist. Mm -hmm. artist always leaves their imprint on their artwork. So if we think of our bodies and our fertility as one of God's artworks, studying and learning our fertility becomes a way that we can actually get to know an aspect of God, right? If we are made in his image, then studying that image, even from God forbid, a scientific perspective can give us insight into the master artist, right? Um, But their reasoning is that fertility awareness, especially modern methods, which are exceptionally effective, their effectiveness is actually what they have the problem with, which is hysterical. Almost as if we have too much control as a couple. Precisely. You know too much. You cannot invite God into this if you know this much. Now you have total control. And I think both you and I can just laugh our faces off. I don't see any control over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not to dismiss not to dismiss 
that I do know, I do know of one particular person who has actually expressed to me, she's like, Emily, yeah, we do have like my cycles nailed down. And like, when we want to avoid pregnancy, we avoid pregnancy. When we want to achieve it, we achieve it. And I'm like, you know what? That works for you. Not what happened to me. It's not what happened to you, Mary. <laughs> well, it, it, it just shows the beauty of our uniqueness. Why does the, why does God didn't create us all to be the same? Mm-hmm. He created us with you know, hopefully with that openness and that docility to invite him into our decisions. I was just looking back on my phone. I couldn't find it, but you remember, I listened to that. There was a Chris, ask Christopher West episode where some, some woman had written in and was like, my husband, uh, you know, thinks that we're done having children, but I would just love, you know, to keep having children. Like, why do we have to do anything? I just want to keep having children. Shouldn't he listen to me? Like, I forget the exact words, how she phrased it, but I thought Christopher would maybe help me remember it. Cause I can't find it in the, in our conversation, but, but he, but he was just, he was emphasizing the importance of, well, the first thing that's obvious is that you and your husband are on two different uh, yeah. opinions here. Yeah. So first we need to come together and invite in God to that conversation to discern individually and together, which, what, what is God? The question is, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling us to do? And so he, he, he compared it to like this and she was coming and this was Christopher West's words from the providentialist kind of mindset. And she wouldn't have even used that. Like, I don't even think she used that term. So I'm, I'm, I'm elaborating on that just because like there again, we're using some extreme examples, but this is something that kind of trickles in without us even realizing it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So he was comparing this to like, you don't tempt God. He was talking about that. Um, I think it was the Bible verse. Yep. See, I'm Catholic. I don't know my scripture very well either. <laughs> um, we, we're real de- Catholics guys. We can't quote chapter <laughs> and verse. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just like, he was just explaining that you don't tempt God. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to do what I want and then let nature run its course. Like not to say that couples can't discern not to use NFP in cycles. We're not saying that like here or there. We're just saying, let's take a step back and ask God, what is he calling us to do in this cycle? Well, and that's the piece that providentialism misses. Right. And again, it's very similar to this idea of marriage and consent being the ceiling, right? Is that having children is the ceiling. No, 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 no. Having children, you know, like, so you kind of see that thread through these things, but no, having children is an ongoing conversation because our circumstances are constantly changing. Changing constantly changing. Our fertility is constantly changing. Our finances are constantly changing. Our resources, you know, we don't live in villages anymore. Um, we don't have these support networks. Um, and one of the pushbacks that, you know, when I get into conversations with people who have this idea that like you get married and you make babies, you know, they may not call it providentialism or contraceptive mentality or whatever. Right. Um, but this kind of, what they call contraceptive mentality is the idea that you get married And then you put off having kids or you kind of default to spacing kids. That's what they think is this contraceptive mentality is that children are not a completely integral part of your view of marriage because you delay pregnancy or space your children, right? Which doesn't make any sense. And they say that this is a modern phenomenon, 
Now, to a certain degree, like, yes, it is a modern phenomenon. Not to a certain degree. I can absolutely agree with them. <laughs> that this is a modern phenomenon. That when we have this idea that when we get married, you know, we delay pregnancy for a year, two years, whatever. Like, I need to get to know my spouse, whatever, like, the reasons are. Um, I need to travel. I need to get established in my career. Um, you know, whatever. But, it, it, and what they never call out but I've never heard them call out ironically is actual contraception. I always hear, I only ever hear them railing against natural family planning against fertility awareness. I have never heard them come out railing against contraception during NFP week. And I'm like, if we're going to pick our battles, can we pick the right one? That's just an observation that I've right. made. Like every NFP week, they get on their grandstands and just eviscerate NFP. And I'm like, but are we the real enemy? Well, let's break that <laughs> open then. Let's compare then. I know it's like, let's be happy. Someone is not using contraception rather than like right. just throwing, throwing them out there and say, never use it. Right. But contraceptive mentality can never be used. This is from something you wrote to describe the practice of NFP. Because NFP can never be contraceptive because at its core, Mm -hmm. NFP is self-control, right? It's not actually having sex. So you, that's the reason why, can you explain that a little bit more? The difference between what, yes, the end, the end uh, is the same where a child does not, is not produced, but the means matter. The means are very different. And you wrote a beautiful essay on this, which my computer won't pull up at the moment. Um, Awesome. But Um, I did make some notes that I have, but I would like to hear you talk about that a little bit. I don't have my copy of Humani Vitae because Pope Paul VI just, you know, he just nailed it. Oh, girl, I got it right here because I I copied and pasted. I'll read it because that's that's the other thing is that they love to throw out Humane Vitae which we're always right like great let's go read Humane Vitae (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. this is what it says neither the church nor her doctrine is inconsistent when she considers it lawful for married people to take advantage of the infertile period and he's specifically referring here about using the infertile period and and not while at the same time not using the fertile period Does that make sense? But condemns as always unlawful the use of means which directly prevent conception, even when the reasons given for the later practice may appear to be upright and serious. In reality, these two cases are completely different. In the former, the married couple rightly use a faculty provided them by nature. In the latter, they obstruct the natural development of the generative process. It cannot be denied that in each case, the married couple for acceptable reasons, are both perfectly clear in their intention to avoid children and wish to make sure that none will result. But it is equally true that it is exclusively in the former case that husband and wife are ready to abstain from intercourse during the fertile period, as often as for reasonable motives, the birth of another child is not desirable. Mm -hmm. And when the infertile period recurs, they use their married intimacy to express their mutual love and safeguard their fidelity toward one another. In doing this, they certainly give proof of a true and authentic love. Right. You know what I love? Every time I read Humana Vitae, I always 
you know, you always pick up new things because you never read the same thing twice. You're always a new person when you go back and read something you've already read. I love how he pointed out that with people who use NFP and contraception, that the need to avoid, like what he said about the need to avoid children, which in both cases is often just. Yep. Yeah. I love that he pulls, you know, he just, every time I read that, I just, I feel like I just got a big hug from my dad, you know? (laughs) Like he's just, I don't know. Like he just comes across as a warm, loving father in that encyclical who just cares about his children, you know, anyway. It doesn't doesn't matter if you're Catholic or not. Humans have good reason to face children. Yes. So what I was, what I tangented myself off of, which is a frequent problem this idea, like one of the things that, you know, talking about how avoiding and spacing children is a modern phenomenon. And like I said, I can 100% agree with that. Part of that absolutely is the introduction of contraception, the, you know, widespread use, certainly. However, there are, there are many other concurrent phenomenon that are modern that have to be considered and acknowledged and Catholics who are practicing NFP for the purposes of avoiding or spacing children. These are usually their factors. Number one, um, limited resources, whether it's financial or human or mental, emotional, whatever, you know, like I said, we don't live in villages anymore. I live in Northern Virginia. My husband's family is in Wisconsin. My family is in Texas and Louisiana right? This is, this is something across the board for our generation common. So we have to create our villages. Our support networks are not built in. Like my, my mom grew up on the same street as like several aunts and uncles and cousins. My dad was the same way. You know, I grew up in the same city as my entire family and spent, we don't have that anymore, right? We don't have those built-in networks. The other thing is, we don't have high infant mortality rates, you know, just, to, just like speaking purely practically here back in the day, you needed to pop out like eight, 10 kids because maybe only two of them would live to adulthood. We don't have that problem anymore. Modern medical science has made, you know, leaps and bounds where I don't want to say healthier because, okay, let's be honest about the American diet, but we're living longer, there you <laughs> no, go. whether we're more willing to die, you know, we'll get into that another day. Um, <laughs> anyway, but we're living longer. We're not dying in infancy. Um, you know, maternal mortality rates are lower. We're not an agrarian society. Agriculture is completely mechanized. Like way back in the day, you know, there were family farms and like, you literally had to have a lot of kids because you needed people to help you work. We don't have that anymore. There's just practical, uh, and speaking of diet, you know, our, uh, particularly our American diets, jack with our hormones, which jacks with our fertility. Like we're actually seeing, you know, like a crazy rise of fertility issues, like issues like PCOS and other like things of infertility for both men and women. Um, Some of these issues are diet and lifestyle related. You know, we don't, especially here in the States, like we don't have a good balance of work and life and, you know, we're all stressed out, like nobody's sleeping well, we're all on antidepressants and all these different types of things. Like not to say that you should not be on antidepressants if you need to be not criminalizing psychotropic drugs, That that different, I hate using that phrase. It sounds like so 
I don't know, LSD anyway, but you know, that's just the reality of our part, some of the reality of our modern life, but also we're understanding the integration of our bodies. We're understanding mental health and how our mental health affects our physical and emotional and spiritual health. We're understanding so much more the interconnectedness of our being part of which that's what you get with fertility awareness. Anyway, there you go. there's a product pitch. Can that be a product pitch? Anyway, so there's, you know, yes, this idea that like you get married and you have a smaller family for, you know, whatever reason is a modern idea, but we have to like the Catholic church is not a church that denies reality. And the reality of our modern life is things are very different from how they have been in the past. Even, you know, if you just think about today, like the cost of housing inflation right now is insane. You know, I know people were delaying pregnancy because of COVID, not wanting to deliver in hospitals. Actually, I think there might've actually been a baby boom um, (laughs) because everybody was in quarantine. Um, (laughs) Good for you guys. I'm glad you guys weren't fighting. Anyway, um, maybe that came later. I don't know, hopefully not. But, you know, these are all, we have to respond to our present circumstances. And that's what this contraceptive mentality, providentialist, you know, rejecting Vatican II ideology doesn't do. It does not grapple with reality. It doesn't address the present reality, which is why it's problematic, because it doesn't factor in human reason which is a gift. And, you know, for all of my religious people who are listening, if you recall the parable of the talents, I believe it is either Matthew 25, Matthew chapter 25, verse 27, or Matthew chapter 27, verse 25. I always get them flipped. Anyway, parable of the talents. What happened to the guy who buried his talent? It did not end well. He was not praised. He was not, you know, applauded like, yes, I gave you this gift and you did nothing with it, but you safeguarded it. You buried it. Yes. No, he was berated. And that talent was taken from him and given to the guy who made five talents out of five talents. Right. Reason is a gift. Faith is a gift. And yes, we're going to be called to take leaps in our life. And yeah, we need to be open and, and able to discern that. But reason is also a gift and it is a complement to faith, not a negation of faith. And that's the fallacy here is that I think at its core, and I don't, I've never heard anybody articulate this, but I feel like this is the core of the issue is that faith and reason are seen as being at odds. And that's never been a Catholic stance mm-hmm. ever. Don't talk to me about Galileo. I, I'm, everybody's like, well, what about, you know, like, <laughs> Everybody who's like, you know, the Catholic church has never said that reason comes into contact conflict with faith. They're like, well, what about Galileo? Anyway, he was demonized for saying that we had a, um, heliocentric galaxy. No Um, idea what that means. That the sun, (laughs) the center of our, our galaxy and all the planets revolve around the sun. Oh, okay. Time it was, uh, believed that all of the planets in the sun revolved around the earth, but Galileo was like, actually, and apparently the Catholic church had issues with that. So people like to did not know that, Yeah, but I think, I think there's not enough emphasis on, can 
I raise this child well? Yes. Can I raise this child well? Can I take care of myself well? Mm-hmm. What is the st- like? How is my marriage? Yes. It's just I can have a child, so I should. You know, like it. They don't know. No, I think there's actually, so much more. Even worse, it's I should have a child, so I do, or I must have a child. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, and and that's it. it kind of didn't realize that's what I was believing. And so when I was became infertile because of these lies that I believed, man, that hurt. Like not to say it's not going to hurt in general, it will. But like when you believe that your purpose is to bear a child, like this is just what I'm supposed to do in my marriage. I'm supposed to have a child. Then I'm going to supposed to have another one. And then I'm supposed to have another one. Like, well, well the other stuff gets left behind. Like you're saying, God has made us so much more than just the ability or to have a child or not. I have an interesting, and and also before I get to this example, I'm about to share, like, we don't know what our lives are going to look like in a year or two years or five years. So just to say that, like, I'm just supposed to he- be here producing children, like we don't know what the relationships between those siblings are going to be like, or what our financial status is going to be, or who's going to get sick. And in a funny kind of way you're objectifying yourself. When you oh, have you yeah, see I see that nothing more than a means of production, a means of production. Yeah. Which we're not, we're so much more than, and this is not intended, right? It's just, that's right. why we're having this conversation because we don't realize the things that we're communicating the other to others. And there's some people who are like, I don't understand why women who are infertile get so offended by this. I believe, you know, this contraceptive mentality. Well, it's indirect. If mm-hmm. you're going to say that my primary purpose is to procreate in my marriage, well, what does that say about me? Because right. it's not, it's through no fault of my own that I can't. And I'm a lot more than that. And the so thing you is, just is don't that, realize what's being communicated. Yeah. And the thing is, is that if, <clears throat> if that is true, that procreation is the sole primary purpose of marriage, infertility would invalidate a marriage. It would right. render it null and void. And but you don't realize you're saying these things. That's the, that's right. what I'm like, this is what right. you're communicating. You might not realize it, but that's why this conversation is so important. Yeah. And this is something, you know, I think with any, with any ideology that causes mass destruction, there's always an element of truth. Mm-hmm. Always, always with purity culture. There is this recognition that like the hedonism that we see in our culture has gone awry and we need to correct. And this is what you were talking about with like the pendulum swing, right? Okay, well, we're just going to swing the pendulum all the way to the other extreme. But no, the truth is in the middle. Same thing with contraceptive mentality. Oh, and my children just joined me. Um, That's cool. (laughs) How goody. Um, (laughs) Speaking of fertility. um, and it's same thing with contraceptive mentality and providentialism. You have within the Catholic Church this recognition that artificial contraception is bad. So you pendulum swing. Well, if they're wrong because they don't want kids and the right thing must be that we have all the kids. And again, the truth is in the middle. It's like, no, you need, you need to be open to discerning what God is calling you to. And in my situation, you know, we were like, well, we need to avoid pregnancy. Three months into marriage. We were, I was pregnant, had a C-section, definitely needed to avoid pregnancy for health reasons um, and psychological reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then seven months after she was born, I was pregnant again, you know, and it was like, these were two surprises. We were using NFP and yet I got pregnant. When and we yet were God was still in control of your life. God was still in your pregnancies. I wasn't thrilled with it, but it is what it is. I have two beautiful children who I love and adore and who I'm going to have to shuffle downstairs shortly. Anyway, um, and then two years after the birth of my son, my husband and I were like, okay, let's break some rules. And we started breaking rules. And a year and a half later, like we were not pregnant. Like what in the world? Like I knew my fertility. I knew when to like target this to achieve pregnancy and it wasn't happening. And then finally a year and a half later, like I just gave up. I was like, whatever, it's not happening. I'm just not going to worry about it. And then boom, (laughs) not to say stop worrying and then you'll get pregnant. Please do not make that be the takeaway. There were issues that I was trying to evaluate and I did have it confirmed that I had low functioning thyroid, which I was treating. And so part of me wonders if like that was affecting my fertility because, you know, your thyroid is, you know, coordinating everything. But what I learned, what I learned was not just that, you know, I joked with a friend of mine. I was like, I was like, you know, it just kind of feels like whenever it comes to my fertility, whatever I ask him, he just looks at me and just goes, huh, no, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. Not happening. Um, but what I learned, which is what you learned on the front end, I learned on the back end. I learned fertility awareness as NFP, as a means to avoid pregnancy. What I learned on the back end was this is actually a means to understand my overall health, to understand how integrated every part of me is and how that was very intentionally designed. Like I understand myself better in light of my creator because of fertility awareness. And this is what providentialism blocks this incredible gift that we have in our fertility to learn who we are and then to share that with our spouse. Now, again, like you pointed out at one earlier, as we were chatting, there's absolutely couples who are like, you know what? The NFP thing isn't for us. We're just going to have sex whenever we want and just accept the babies as they come. You know what? If that is a result of proper discernment, great. Zero problem. Just understand that fertility awareness goes way beyond family planning. That like for me, like one of the, like this was a huge deal for me, like identifying my thyroid issues actually helped to um, change dramatic mood swings that I was happening. It definitely had an impact on family life, let's just say. You know, like those types of things and then understanding my cycles, like I know when I'm on my period, like I need to make simpler meals basic stuff has nothing to do with having or not having children, but just has to do with me understanding myself so that I can love my family to the best of my life. When you're more creative and more energetic in a cycle versus more resting and really needed to like take some time. Right. Right. I'm working with, and again, I'm not a man. I don't have, you know, this yeah, I think, I think actually men undergo, I've heard this recently. I don't have anything hard and factual to corroborate it. Um, but I heard that men actually do have a 24 hour hormonal cycle. Is that true? I don't know. Okay. 
I've heard that. It would make sense. Like, I feel like sense. I've heard that, but I don't know if that's from what you, when you saying that, I feel like you've said yeah. that before. Surely it, you read it like, somewhere. It makes sense, but I don't have like scientific backing for that. But I was like, you know, I, that, that, that could be understandable, but then, but you know, women have a, a monthly cycle and like, why is this not something that you should share with your spouse? But again, if you believe that the sole primary purpose is procreation, and union is just secondary, then this whole sharing in the knowledge of one another becomes unimportant. Well, and you mentioned intentional. I think that's very important to pull out because if you believe that God created us as male and female, Mm-hmm. Well, he created woman's body intentional, right? He could have very right. easily made us fertile every day like a man. Why didn't he? That's my question. Why didn't he? If it was his intention to just let every woman, like I'll do, like as God, I'm just going to decide when a woman gets pregnant and not, then right. it doesn't matter that we have days of infertility or not. It just doesn't. Right. But look at the design, look at the artist design. Like you said, yeah. look at the design of the artist. It tells you a lot about the artist and his intentions. And he communicates that through the church. Right. So, and the church has, um, has said like, this, this is suitable. This is good. Right. Right. Um, but the thing is that, that word procreation, you know, God is called a creator. He creates out of nothing. Procreator is a cooperative uh, position. I love that. It's not, it's not somebody who is in charge. And so, but, but God does not force, right? So the reason why God is not just up there treating us all like marionettes being like, okay, now you shall be pregnant. He's the one who is saying, I require you to understand the gift of your sexuality to use it in a loving way and that in the using of it, you know, in a loving way, like, yes, one of the results is children. Absolutely. Sorry. My kids are distracting me. (laughs) They're like having, they're having some roughhousing going on in my room, playful and, and happy. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to get hurt. Okay. And we're back. Where were we? Well, I want I want to say something about the pendulum swing that yep. you brought up earlier because I think it's interesting when you consider the pendulum swing being like use contraception over here and then on the other end you have it's never okay to space children like just have all the babies. What can easily become idolized on both ends of the spectrum? Or the yep. pendulum swing? Sex or sex too. Yeah. Sex? Yeah. Yep. And children or like not having children, having all the children. So we got to be careful. It's always about that balance. Because remember, there's something very good about virtue. Yeah. And we don't, we kind of lose that when we're just going to say, and then we like in our previous part one sex episode about purity culture, we talked a lot about like sex, you know, it starts with loving the other person. And when sex is just happening all the time without respect, without much respect, I mean, obviously this can happen. There's a spectrum, right? But like, we just have to be careful because our goal is to love the other person. It's not just to have sex as a free for all. Right. That's different. Right. And it is a free for all when you remove union or procreation, right? right? When you remove procreation and you focus solely on the pleasure 
right? It does it does devolve into use eventually. But the same thing in the reverse. When you remove union and you focus solely on the procreation, that also devolves into use because it's a it's both both pleasure and babies you can treat your spouse or partner as a means to an end that's true right both now the reason why we don't demonize the people who have the 10 kids well okay let me pause for a moment let me speak to the families who have many children you guys catch a lot of flack from Mm -hmm. secular culture i don't we are one one thing that I want to make explicitly clear is that by no means are we sitting here and saying that if you have 10 kids, oh my gosh, you're a horrible person who's just going out there and having sex all the time yeah. and you have no respect for your spouse and you don't take care of your kids and all this type of stuff. Those cases do exist. Absolutely. However, those there are very good people out there who genuinely cultivate real love in their marriages and among their children and they happen to have 10 kids and god bless them we should have started with that we should have started with that (laughs) dang it i know we're like halfway through and people are like you've gotten this far in the conversation right it's there's a difference again in and this is what pope paul the sixth highlights in humana vitae i think very well is is that there is a difference between ends and means right And if the means is the pursuit of that union, the spousal union, right, that that is primary in the marriage for both the good of the spouses and the good of the children, that it doesn't matter the number of children that come. If mom and dad, if husband and wife are engaged in that loving union throughout their marriage, that fruit spills over right? Whether it is with 10 kids or no kids for whatever reason and anything in between, right? That the, the ultimate litmus test is not how many children you have or don't have. It is love, mm-hmm. right? So I just wanted to take a minute. Big families, I know you guys catch a lot of flack. You guys are in a weird place, Because on the one hand, I've talked to people who have large families and they're like, when I go to church, I feel like some people canonize me. I had a dad who had nine kids tell me that one time. He was Mm. like, it feels weird to go to church because like people look at me like I'm just some extra holy person because I have nine children. And then I go out to the grocery store and they're like, oh my gosh, like these nine children are yours. So it's a, it's a weird space to occupy. Yeah. And I just want to take a minute and say, we see that. And like, we get that's like, that's rough. Like, that's rough. You feel like you don't have a home. Like on in one place, you're put on a pedestal and nobody wants to be on a pedestal unless you need to go see a therapist. And on the other hand, you're, you're totally demonized. And it's like, can I, can people just see me as a person, you know, who just said yes. And this is what my yes looked like. And I'm here to say that, yes, we can. And we do. And what we're talking about to be extra clear is not simply people who have 10 children. What we're talking about is not simply people who are like, ah, fertility awareness is just not for me. I know what it is, totally cool with it, but it's just not for us. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about are the people who say that unless you have or try to have 10 children, 
And if you use fertility awareness, you are not being a good Catholic. That's what we take issue with. The point is there's no litmus test. Every family's unique period, full stop. Right. And it should, it should be. That's the thing, you know, that that's the thing that drives me crazy. Especially whenever you talk about like pro-life language, you know, the reason why we defend the unborn is because every life is unique and unrepeatable until you get married. And then there is a certain way to do marriage and there is a certain way to, you know, to, to have a Catholic marriage and until you have kids. And then once you have kids, there is a certain way to parent your children and to what school to send your children to and so on and so forth. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. I thought every life was unique and unrepeatable. Mm -hmm. And what, what about the marriage of two unique and unrepeatable persons suddenly negates that uniqueness? You know, I don't, and what about introducing a completely unique soul into that marriage in the form of a child negates that uniqueness i don't get it like why does it end there i don't get it it's one thing to think and believe these things for yourself but it's another thing and we say this because we have seen this taught to people it's another thing to communicate to single women or people who are discerning marriage or engaged couples like to teach them this Mm -hmm. because it causes a lot of damage and i'm one example for sure Yeah. Because what if a couple, a woman gets married and she can't have children or, or the many other things that can happen, right? Like, or what if they have like serious reasons that they need to avoid? Avoid. Like and- I get the messages that I get from women who are just like, I feel like I'm not doing the right thing because we just can't have another child right now for whatever reasons. And I'm like, yeah. I see nothing wrong here. I see that you and your husband have looked at your situation and said adding another child would not be a loving decision and you're acting accordingly. And that's hard and that's sacrificial. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're not doing it, but (laughs) (laughs) by not doing it, you're doing it anyway. um, Yeah. yeah, And you create this, like, that's, that's what I mean is that the people who, who rail about like providentialists, they go after the 2% of Catholics who actually use NFP. And I'm just like, guys, is this the real enemy? Is this the fight? Yeah, is this the fight we want to be having? I know. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And here's, I'm going to blow the wad off of this. Oh, please do. The people who are on the extreme end of this ideology who like really believe, like know what they believe. They will quote encyclicals to you incorrectly. And, you know, all this type of stuff on the extreme end. I don't think I've ever talked to a single person whose main issue was simply that they didn't want to abstain from sex. Hmm. It's not that they had an issue. It really, honestly, like all of their justification with saying that, you know, Vatican II, like, Pope Paul VI and Humana Vitae, screw that, you know, Kasi Kanubi, like, I'm going to incorrectly quote that, all this type of stuff, their main issue is just they don't believe they should ever have to abstain from sex for any reason. Again. Sounds familiar. Right? Right? And so it's like, you just, when, like, I, for the longest time, I was like, I got that feeling Every time I would talk to somebody who was on the extreme end of this, 
And it just, it kept, you know, men and women, mm-hmm. men and women, you know, yeah. it's not, it was not just, well, it was usually women speaking on behalf of their husbands. Um, and they were like, well, you know, like I shouldn't, I shouldn't deprive my spouse. Depriving my spouse is, and I quote, a sin against justice. And I'm like, Great. him not loving you and getting to know you is also sin a sin against, against justice. Justice two-way street here and that's the problem again with all of these ideologies that we're talking about the problem is male sexuality is propped up as you know because if you think about it let's just you know let's talk about let's really get into sex and libido here for a second because if you talk about this what what is needed for procreation to occur a male orgasm oh right yeah that's it you need a male mm-hmm. orgasm inside a vagina you can potentially have conception, okay? Where does the female orgasm fit in that? It doesn't. You do not need a female orgasm in order to have a child. However, in order to have the total union of the spouses, female sexual pleasure is absolutely crucial. Should be sought, absolutely. Otherwise, you elevate procreation over unity. Right, And if we want to get utilitarian about this, let's talk about female sexual anatomy. The clitoris. I love talking about the clitoris. I love it. I just love it. You did light up. I I just love, I just love God so much for giving women, the ones who have been absolutely vilified throughout all of human history as being the ones with no libido or low libido or no interest in sex. And yet... We have this entire organ that whose, whose sole primary, not sole, but primary function is sexual pleasure. You know, mm-hmm. I just love him for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you. Like to get a little theology of the body here and to right? study the artwork with the intention of understanding. Intentional the design. What does the clitoris tell us? You know, that this, like the God intended for women to enjoy sex. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that because of purity culture, because of Jansenism, we haven't really talked about Jansenism, Mm. but because of, you know, this hedonistic pleasure on demand, yes, the female orgasm is a tricky, tricky thing. Okay. However, that does not mean it can be dismissed. And when we hold ideologies where, oh, you know, men, they need sex every three days and they have no self-control, we are not communicating to men that they are capable of the work that it takes to learn a woman's body. And they are. They absolutely are. That's the thing. Well, again, God... God's design is as complimentary. So typically it's like, you know, the woman likes, like gets turned on in one way and the man gets turned on in, in a different way. Not to say there's not some overlap. I'm not saying that, but I'm right. saying it's meant to like, it's both and right. right. Like the female orgasm, like the woman wants to be loved. She wants to feel treasured by her husband. Like it's not just, to, I mean, there's an element of touch, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's that complementarity. Say work together. 
Yeah. And I think you can kind of think about it this way. Like, you know, if you, okay, we're, we're rating these explicit so I can say it how I need to say it. Um, if you, if a man's penis is stimulated for, you know, a certain period of time in a certain way, he will ejaculate. Right. Right. For the most part, unless there's some kind of dysfunction going on or whatever. Um, but yeah, you do that. Women are not that way. You can find that clitoris and work that clitoris. But if there is something off in her head or her heart, that woman will not orgasm. Right. Probably. Exactly. Most likely. So yes, it's complimentary in the sense that you have not to say that men don't need the mental or emotional or spiritual aspect, but that there is like physiologically, that's how his body works, but her body works differently. And when you put them together, there is that searching and seeking for the totality of the person. There it is. The physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, all of it together. And, and tell that, me, what is the best sex that you've had? It's when it's all there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the best, no, the sex. best sex. The best sex I've ever had is always, always after a really good conversation with my husband. It That's doesn't what matter what it's yeah. about. Right. It doesn't matter what it's about. But if we had a moment, if we had a conversation where I felt deeply connected to him and then we ended up having sex afterwards, best sex ever. Right. Yes. Yes. And it's like, when I say good conversation, I'm not talking about like my, my husband and I are nerds. We will talk about like architecture and we'll talk about, you know, history and we'll debate ideas because we're weird like that. It's foreplay. It is. <laughs> <laughs> It is 100% foreplay. Yes, absolutely. Like I'm getting attention men, right? Foreplay comes in lots of different flavors and sizes and ways. Women. So yeah. For some reason, edible underwear just popped into my head. (laughs) Okay. When you said flavors and sizes, I was like, why is that? I don't know why I chose those words. But when we're talking about the complementarity, it's true for us. Like lots of times, lots of women, I'm going to nerd out for a second, Catholicly nerd out. That's a word. Like if my husband initiates prayer with me, okay, that's foreplay guys. That is hot talk. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's foreplay for a woman. (laughs) So basically men here's your deal. Foreplay is not just what you do in bed before you have intercourse. It is your entire marriage. That's the point is that it's not good. You are not going straight to sex. I mean, you can, but it's not, it's, that's not how God designed us. It's how can I love you off, but wait, what'd you say? I said, you'll get one off. Oh yeah, absolutely. But But if you're looking for the wholeness that God designed within marriage, it's how can I love you? How can I love you? Going back to going back to Christine Emba who we were talking about at the beginning, this is something that she's getting her finger on the pulse of in in secular culture. Again, um, going back to that idea of, of consent as the floor rather than the ceiling and how there does need to be this knowledge of a person. And I love, um, what blew me away about this article is that she goes back to Thomas Aquinas and, And I, I, I Wait, need to, is it Aquinas or, mm-hmm. okay, sorry. Aquinas. And she also, uh, takes it back to, um, 
Aquinas, I think, drew on Aristotle. So that's what she was going back to. Um, But it was just so fascinating to read, you know, a sec, like a secular take on sex. And at the end of the article, it's the conclusion is basically, you know, this Catholic doctor of the church had his finger on the pulse of like what we're actually looking for. I just found it so fascinating and I'm scrolling the article. I have it. I found it. Do you want me to read that? Um, yes. Yeah. Go for it. The, the paragraph with Thomas Aquinas. Is that what you're yeah. looking for? That yeah, read question- the paragraph above it too. Okay. Yeah, the short one. I asked many of these people what a better sexual world might look like. Listening. I heard care. They said, Mutual responsibility, some suggested, or as one woman plaintively put it, can we not just love each other for a single day? That question points to what looks to me like a good answer. The word love tends to conjure ideas of flowers, chocolate, declarations of undying devotion, but the term has a longer, more helpful history. Thomas Aquinas, the 13th century philosopher and theologian, defined love as willing the good of the other. He borrowed that definition from Aristotle, who talked about love as an intention to bear goodwill toward another for the sake of that person and that oneself. And that's it. Again, this is secular. Okay. So we can see natural law coming through very strongly here. We all have the same desires as human beings to be loved, to be known, to be fully seen and fully loved. And that's what Christ does for us. And that's what we're trying to model. Right. Who we're yeah, trying to model. It just it's and and when you think about that in relation, you know, what she just put her finger on the pulse of, you don't see it in purity culture. You don't see it in providentialism, as we've kind of talked about it. You don't see it in secular culture as it is right now. But there is a yearning, right? It doesn't matter, you know, willing the good of your spouse means that sometimes you know what we can't have another child right now. Willing the good of your spouse sometimes means, you know what? I need to let my wife know that she is my equal and that she is good, right? Like there, that's, that's the ultimate calling is willing the good of the other over yourself, right? Um, and, and that's what, what purity culture misses by, you know, just making us devolve into this battle of the sexes and what providentialism misses by saying that essentially, you know, again, if, if procreation is the sole primary purpose of marriage, then we are nothing more than objects of production. We are, our goodness is defined by what we produce, not by who we are, which is, you know, yeah. And that's, so it's, it is, it is both of these, when you really tease them out, are both completely antithetical to actual Christianity, to the gospel message, to the entirety of scripture. It's completely incongruent with what we're supposed to do. I love how you pointed that out. And I, I actually kind of wonder like for those who are providentialists or, or lean more towards the NFP can be used as a contraceptive mentality. Like there are some of those marriages where there is some unity, right? There is good fruit being born in different areas. And I wonder if they just kind of see that, like they just take that for granted. 
and don't recognize as like, no, this is just as important as this other part. Mm -hmm. And like how much more it would be if we put a little more focus on growing, on growing that, that fruit, bearing that fruit in, in other ways than just producing children. Something else we didn't touch on is that you can ac- absolutely seek to produce ch- children selfishly. We didn't even yeah. like talk about that. Like it, it can be, yeah. we can be um, selfish e- either end of the spectrum. Absolutely. So it just, again, it comes back to like, am I, ma- are we as a couple making this decision based on selflessness mm-hmm. and an openness to God, yeah. or are we basing it in selfishness? It can be either way, but typically it's the ones who are not having children that are just kind of seen as selfish. And hence, that's what we kind of get unintentionally. A lot of people say this, I was one of them, but like, oh, they're a good Catholic family simply by nature of having all of those children, which you cannot, you cannot conclude that yeah. by the amount of children a family has alone well it's so limiting because you know we are reducing a person's holiness to what is visible and tangible and we know we know that that's not the measure of holiness so why does it become the measure when it comes to kids um but no to touch on what you're talking about is that there are selfish reasons to have children i i I want to be careful with this. I don't want to just say outright that this was entirely selfish. It struck me as selfish. It was very selfish and troubling. Um, And here's my kiddos again. (laughs) I remember hearing, I think it was like during her, like their show, Michelle Duggar, like she was trying to have child number 20. And I think she kept miscarrying and, you know, it was, she was getting older. It was starting to get difficult and so on and so forth. But she, what she said, I'll never forget it. She goes, I just want to have an even 20. And I was like, I was like, yikes. Well, and, and, and at that point, I think she had had several miscarriages. So I was like, well, you already have 20. You actually have over 20. Right. It's just that they're not here. They're already in, some of them are already in heaven. And so it was just, it, there was so many problems for me and what she said there first of all I was like you're literally using your children to satisfy your own needs and and also you're negating the fact that you do have children in heaven with that state and I'm not saying that she does that you know yeah intentionally I don't I don't know but in that statement you know there was this this refusal to recognize that she she did have 20 children. Because for many people, that's the default too. It's just the right. default of holiness or right. just goodness. Right. That only if, if your children are alive and breathing and make it to adulthood, right. then you've done your, like, no, no, no. Like how crushing, you know, for, for women like you who are infertile, for women who have recurrent pregnancy loss, which is 25% of women. I, it, and I've never figured out if it's 25% of pregnancies or 25% of women. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, a lot. It's the numbers high. That's the, the point. number is insanely it's high. very high, higher than we, we realize. Yeah. And we suck at talking like 12 and a half percent of women struggle with infertility, 40 to 50% of in cases of infertility are due to male factor. Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't even talk about like I, somebody well, this is like a huge tangent, but somebody mentioned that, you know, men don't even have fertility doctors. Like they go to the urologist and I was like, Oh, right. I yeah. That. yeah. Um, 
So that's completely understudied. Um, but yeah, and then miscarriage, but then also, you know, valid reasons to avoid pregnancy. Like we have a, we have a good friend who like, she has chronic illness and a pregnancy would kill her. Yeah. And so, she, so she's like, what is she supposed to do? Right. Um, she has used reason and like put her faith in God and like, you know, yep, she's, she's doing what she needs to do. And, and that's, you know, so again, like, yes, there is this uniqueness that is rejected with both purity culture and providentialism that is, is so limiting of God. And it so undermines our human experience, the way that God intended it, you know, like going back to the garden, like what made Adam light up was that she was, Eve was different. That was part mm-hmm. of what made him light up. She's like, he, she's part of me, but she's not me. She's sep, you know, separate, but equal. I can't believe I'm using that phrase, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and you can't, I want to also interject for a second, because I think there's a lot of people in the providentialism contraceptive mentality group that will say like, again, about couples like that who have chronic illness or are infertile, but you can't say procreation is the primary purpose of marriage, except in these circumstances. Right. You know, that's what I hear. Like, -hmm. unless you're infertile or have chronic illness, then you're fine. It just doesn't work like that. Oh, they they allow exceptions to the rule. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what it's, it's, it's like, we don't, it's like, no, if you're infertile, obviously you have no control over that and whatever, like, but, but you can't just say it doesn't apply to you. Right. The same, the same, the same thing applies to all of us as far as like fruitfulness goes. Yeah. Because it's, it's missing a holistic understanding of what procreation is. Like we're like children. Yes. Are kind of the most obvious way. And when, um, in, in Genesis, I think the Hebrew word for fruitfulness, it does refer specifically to fertility. Uh, now, granted, this command was given before the fall. So that's important. Mm, context. Context. But one of the things that I know that like Catholic and Christian mothers can kind of fall into the trap of is thinking that, well, my children are my fruitfulness, full stop. It's like, no, 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 no. Again, we're unique and unrepeatable human beings. Like, yes, you're a mother. Yes. Heck yes. But you also, you know, we want to go full gen, full Weiler blue flame. Like we also have these, these gifts and talents that can be used within our families, but maybe not. And to, to sit on those gifts and disregard them as unimportant because, well, I've done my due diligence by having children a woman, like people, like the whole point, the temptation there becomes defining your life by your children and the job of parents. And this is where purity culture, I see it go really awry and also providentialism as well um, with regards to children is that because parents end up defining their life and their marriage by their children, the children, there's usually not a cord cutting later Mm -hmm. in life. Yeah there's like enmeshment, right? That a mother will define herself by her children and have a very hard time letting go of them when it's time. And it's like, that's your job as a parent. If you did your job well, your children will one day leave 
with confidence and security and your relation, you, your job as a parent is to work yourself out of a job and to work yourself into an advisory role. And your life shouldn't become empty when the children leave. It should exactly. still be fulfilling. It should still exactly. be fruitful. Nothing has changed exactly. in, in, you in your see, capacity to bear fruit. Nothing. Exactly. And you see this like in secular, yeah, I guess in more secular uh culture as well whenever you see like whenever you hear about couples who divorce after 25 years of marriage what happens the kids left oh man you know the kids left so if you define your marriage by what it produces biologically alone you are doing you're doing long-term damage to to your marriage and an emphasis an overemphasis on sex and not intimacy whole of the whole person you can't look sex this is what i tell my cranton clients sex is gonna happen right like sex (laughs) is pretty easy you're living together and sleeping in the same beds yeah easy done the other stuff has to be intentional has to be intentional getting to know your spouse growing in love growing in unity um that has to it it takes more of an effort and that grow growing in love yeah both and yeah, both and. I know we could keep talking about this for like weeks, <laughs> weeks, and we have, we just haven't <laughs> recorded it. This is um, true. <laughs> <laughs> We're we, like prepping for this, and, and Emily's like, at some point, we just got to hit record. And it's like, I know, oh, I, know. I know. I just, yeah, we could keep going all day. And we didn't even cover everything. You know, like I hear, I mean, these ideologies, like you, you wonder why you hear so many cases of abuse coming out Mm. of people who do, you know, and it's like, again, it's like when you reduce the human person to a means of production, to an object, when you demonize the body, the good body that God created, when you say that you are nothing more than a uterus and, you know, like abuse is going to happen Mm -hmm. because you have already reduced the person to an object of use, very easy to abuse. When you take love out of the equation, abuse is going to happen. Yeah. Trauma, um, all of it. All of it. Again, all reasons to connect with a good counselor. If this, I just have to plug it because I okay. just want to normalize counseling and therapy because okay. it's for healthy people. It's for any, anyone it's for okay. anyone and everyone can benefit from therapy. Um, both Emily and I are in therapy. <laughs> We'll probably be in therapy for a while. Thank God for the gift of therapy. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, definitely don't be afraid to do that. With our generation, I think, you know, the stigma of therapy is, is significantly going on. The problem for us now is finding a good therapist and affording a good therapist. This is true. Which is, you know, we, which we do have an external resources page upon which we have mental health resources that can help you get started finding a therapist. If you find that you need one, especially with all that we have unloaded on you today, um, <laughs> oh, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> um other, you know, resources I, I mentioned, this was, you know, the body keeps the score. If you have, like, if this episode, like you're kind of thinking about your life and you're like, Oh my gosh, um, that's an excellent book because what you have endured is ideological trauma and um the place we find ourselves podcast by adam young mary and i are both 
huge fans of that yes. podcast. I've mentioned Sheila Gregoire a lot. Um, she has a pod again, she has a podcast. She's on Facebook to love, honor, and vacuum. Um, I know. Cute. I never heard <laughs> that. Know, cute. So cute. Uh, she's on Instagram. Um, she's written several books. Um, contraceptive mentality, the book has yet to be written. Um, it's I know it's on my agenda. Girl, and we I hope Emily writes it. She's I gotten started, I'll say that, and it is really well done. So I have a nine-page outline. But in the meantime, if you're Catholic and you want to, you know, understand kind of what is the Catholic stance on sexuality, you know, reading Humanae Vitae, it's short, it's easily digestible. Um, Gaudium at Spes. Um, if you feel up to the task, I highly recommend going just straight to theology of the body. Don't bother with Christopher West, go straight to the source material. Uh, our Catholic corner wet on the website has, that's these right. Links. Yeah. What are we yes. doing? Yes. Go there. The, the, um, it's humane vitae. Uh, what's it? Cassie Canubi. Canubi. Great yep. Catholic right here. Molieris dignitatum. That's a good one. Um, those links are on our website, fanbase.org, F-A-B-M-B-A-S-E.org, as well as some podcast recommendations and uncharted territory. You'll find a link to it there. That's the, what Emily, myself and Jen, Jen Lorette from surprise by marriage teamed up on to kind of, you know, approach this back in 2020 when it all exploded. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to close, close, close this out. One of the things that I wanted to um, bring up is we didn't really talk very much about what to do about all these types of things, how to correct these things kind of in our own minds or in our lives. And maybe we need to do a part three. Um, (laughs) I guess we're going to do that, but just to touch on it briefly in case we don't, um, because, you know, time mothers with kiddos. This is, this is the life. I, one of the things that stood out to me was, uh, you know, Jesus was approached, he was approached on the subject of divorce, right? And he was like, what is, you know, what is your stance on divorce? And, you know, they were trying to track him, of course, because um, he's like, Moses allowed for divorce. They were like, what, what, what do you say? Moses allowed for divorce. So are you going to go against Moses, you know, trying to get him a gotcha question? And Jesus just said, from the beginning, it was not so. And so that's why we spent so much time in the beginning talking about what was originally there, this rupture, you know, this glorification of fallen nature, whether you're looking at purity culture, kind of, you know, definitely elements of, of providentialism, like go back to the very beginning, right before the fall from the beginning, it was not so from the beginning, this fight that we have between each other, that wasn't how it was supposed to be. Now, how to implement that in your marriage, that's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a great starting point. (laughs) Just know from the beginning, it was not so. And, you know, one of our great just treasures of the Catholic Church, I think, is Theology of the Body, written by Pope John Paul II. And just this idea, again, going back to the beginning of how we are embodied persons, that our bodies are good, that we were created good. Yes, we fell, but we're not irredeemable. You know, we're not, we're not these fixed beings who are just, who, who can't change their life, can't change their outcome. 
right, which is very much where I think providentialism falls, is that it's kind of fatalist to a certain degree that, you know, when you get married, it's like, well, you just, you need to start having kids and keep going no matter what. And, and with purity culture, it's, you know, men are sex fiends and you just, they'll, they'll never change. You just need to adjust. It's a very fatalist view of human nature. Um, and that's not, that's not our nature. That's not who we were made to be. And, yeah. So explore yeah. that. In the yeah. beginning, it was not so exactly as you said, yeah. we never said this outright. And I know it's really late to kind of be bringing it up, but I think it's important to bring it up. Um, so much for <laughs> outlines. Um, but I think it's important that the term contraceptive mentality was originally used by Pope John Paul II, correct? Yep. To refer to contraception itself yep. Yep. and not anything to do with NFP, like nothing. Like absolutely yeah. nothing to do with NFP. So the, the term has kind of evolved by just people. And that's what I meant when I said the language, like people are using things to define things that are not. So it's just, I think, uh, a word jumble kind of thing. So yeah. if there's any confusion with that, that's where the, t- the term came from. Yeah. Language is important. It is very important. And I, um, we'll put in the show notes, um, if anyone's interested, um, we'll put, you know, links to some of the resources that we've shared. Definitely the, um, Washington post article by Christina, because that's one of the things that she, um, actually touches on. And I just think it's really interesting to call out. Yeah. So anyway, it's okay, cool. Thank you all for sticking around with us for so long. This has been such a fun conversation. Please let us know if you have any questions or comments. We need reviews, guys. Please rate us and review our podcast. That, that would mean so much to us. If this is something that you enjoy or find meaningful, then let us know. And please do it. Let us know on the podcast platform. That is your favorite. And uh, stick around for more podcasts. We're so glad you're here. Again, you can find our website at fabmbase.org and on Facebook and social media. Until next time, we hope you'll have a great day. Thanks for listening to our conversation. If you enjoy The Intersect, would you mind giving us a rating and leaving a review? You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Browse our unique website at fabmbase.org where you'll find easy to digest information on all things fertility awareness and information on how to contact us with questions or to book us for a speaking engagement. We're so glad you hung out with us today and we can't wait till next time.